Let's read Luke chapter 8, verses 4 to 18. Last week we read a little further than that, but tonight we're going to read 4 to 18, Luke chapter 8. And when a great multitude were coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. And other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples began questioning him as to what this parable might be. And he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, in order that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, and those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so that they may not believe and be saved. And those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. And the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. And the seed in the good soil... These are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Now no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand in order that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that shall not become evident, nor anything secret that shall not be known and come to light. Therefore, take care How you listen. For whoever has, to him shall more be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. Now at the very end of this chapter, it says Jesus' mother and brothers show up and people are saying, Hey, your mother and brothers are here. They want to speak to you. And Jesus says this, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. These who hear the word of God. He points, even even his mother and brothers, even these close familial relationships, he he goes higher. No, my mother and brothers, my, my family are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, according to Matthew's account of this, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this same parable. According to Matthew's account, this was Jesus' first parable. And in Mark's version of it, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus questions his disciples. When they question him about it, he questions them when they ask for an explanation. And he says, do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the other parables. So there's something foundational about this one. There's something foundational about it. You don't understand this one? How will you understand all the parables? I think the first verse of this chapter, 
uh, Luke 8, tells us why he says that. It says Jesus was going from one city to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. He's announcing. Remember, uh, not last week, two weeks ago, I said this word proclaiming is the word a herald, which was someone who would come out and announce uh, by the king's authority, he would make an announcement and people knew. Oh, that guy's speaking for the king. He's speaking in the place of the king. So when he would come as a herald and say, here it is, and he would announce something, it's like he's there by the authorization of the king. He has authority. So here's Jesus heralding the coming of the kingdom of God. He's doing that. And so he tells this particular parable all about hearing. He's announcing, he's proclaiming, he's presenting, he's preaching, teaching, he's bringing the reality of the kingdom of God to, to these people and to us. The arrival of the kingdom of God. He is in effect, he's heralding it and summoning people. Here's something new. The kingdom of God has arrived for you. And he's summoning people to it. He's calling people to know God and be reconciled to him. That's what you notice even in the parable when he says the ones who didn't, uh, the, the first ones who got the word, who heard, it says uh, that they couldn't believe and be saved because the word was snatched away. He wants people to hear so they can be saved. That's his plan. Now he's proclaiming, preaching, presenting, and his these people, that his audience, including you and me, he's announcing, he's presenting, and we are hearing. That's our role. It's kind of passive, but that's what we're here to do. He's announcing, we're listening. And at the end of the, this chapter, you know, Jesus says, take care, therefore, how you listen. Take one, I think it's the NIV says, consider carefully how you listen. Take care in it. And the word actually, take care how you listen. Take care is actually translated. It, the word is see. See how you listen. Like, see to it. See to it. Take great pains in listening right. Hear what I'm announcing to you. So Jesus comes announcing and we come to hear him. Nothing could be more important than hearing Jesus proclaim the kingdom of God. Amen? Nothing could be more important than that. He presents the truth about the kingdom of God and about us being part of it. So, this parable about hearing is foundationally significant because that's the first thing we do. We hear the word, this word of life, this word of the kingdom of God. If we miss it on this one, all the other parables are sort of quaint little word pictures. They're all just sort of nice little pictures. Uh, and he's not, Jesus isn't just telling things so that we're like, oh, that was beautiful, that was so sweet. No, he's telling us so that we can hear, believe, and what? Be saved. He wants that. So, let's consider for a moment. Most of us tend to think in pictures, right? Most of us think in terms of pictures rather than abstract concepts, abstract ideas. S stories 
give us a mental picture. How many people here like movies or books, novels? Well, we like stories, right? We like them. They draw us in and they take us forward. We, we love that kind of thing. There's some, we think that way and we like stories. We want to know how it ends. We want to know that kind of thing. We want the story and we want to know how it ends and we want a good ending. Stories give us a mental picture that we can see. How many have ever read a book and then seen the movie of it and you're disappointed? Anybody? Yeah, always, really. Just about, I mean, are there any? Uh, can anyone ever match on screen what took place in here when you read a book? I know uh, many years ago, um, my kids and I read through the Tales of Narnia. And um, when they started making some of those movies, it was like, what is that? What did they do to this outstanding story? What's the green mist? There was no green mist. It, you know, in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's so many extraordinary imaginative things that C.S. Lewis put into those stories. Why did they have to think up some other ones? And they were, well, the theological word is they were dumb. <laughs> they, but anyway, just a, a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a, a, an aside, but we think in terms of pictures, and those pictures are wonderful, aren't they? You hear a story, and you see something. You, it, it, we see it. It comes alive, and we enter into the story. It's a good thing, and here's Jesus speaking parables, and people were in the story. How's this going to turn out? Where is he going with this? What's it going to be? Jesus uses, um, Jesus uses these earthly pictures we call parables to lead our minds to heavenly things it's an earthly picture some people call creation god's first book and this his second book and there's all kinds of things revealed about god in the first book there's in romans 1 it even talks about god's glory god's attributes have been made known by what is. And so that we're without excuse. It's there. And after you come to Christ, there are so many things that it's like, oh, there it is. It was there all along. God's design, God's fingerprint on things. God has done this. He's done that. We see it. So here's Jesus, masterful in telling stories. And these parables, a parable is basically a comparison. And what he does, this, there's the surface meaning that Jesus gives, and it's something obvious to everyone so that we pass judgment on something in the story. Oh, that is obvious. We see it. Then the meaning is applied to something else. Oh, that's easy to see. Then Jesus applies the meaning of that to something deeper, something heavenly. He gets us to look at an earthly comparison and we say this is obvious and then he's basically pointing us that's the reality of something heavenly something less obvious to our natural eyes now of course Jesus was masterful at this and what Jesus wants us to see in this parable this foundational one is the importance of hearing 
the Word of God. He comes preaching, but He wants us to hear. This parable isn't really about preaching. It's about hearing. Every one of the kinds of soil listed, it it says the seed was the Word, and He came sowing it. All of them heard. All four heard something. But they heard something They took it in in a different way. All four of them. So, okay, let's look at the parable and Jesus' explanation of it side by side and make note of hearing. The sower went out to sow his seed. Verse 11, the explanation, the seed is the word of God. Okay, straightforward. Um, And Matthew says it's the word of the kingdom. That's what's being sown. The Word, the Word of truth, the Word of life, the Word about God, from God, about God's will for us, and His His Word to the creatures made in His likeness. He sows the seed. That is, He scatters seed. He spreads it. That's what it means to sow. Why? Why does He do that? To produce a harvest. That's something obvious. Christ the Son came to sow the seed of the kingdom because God is intent on a harvest. We can start with the the glorious good end result. God intends a harvest. He, He absolutely is not sowing seed thinking, boy, I hope maybe we get something out of this. No, there's a harvest. He he intends fully to have a harvest. He knows he will have. Amen? He's going to have a harvest. Again, it's very obvious you wouldn't sow the seed if you weren't expecting a harvest. And we, In this case, that natural thing, and we apply it to something spiritual. The obvious point here is that God intends to have a, a harvest of souls, people with Him for eternity. That's a given. Sowing the seed which is the Word of God. Okay, the sower went out to sow his seed. Uh, Verse 5. As he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. That's obvious. Verse 12, his explanation. Those beside the road are those who have heard... Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. Apparently, the land where they would... I I was thinking of this the last uh, few weeks. I know it was two weeks ago when we talked about this. Apparently, how they would farm... My Growing up in Alberta, I have pictures of wheat fields that go on forever. It's beautiful. You know, you go out in the country and you see these fields that are, you know, golden and, you know, some crop is just, you know, it's, it's gorgeous. And they, can, they carry on forever. Apparently, that's not quite how this worked. They would have narrow strips with a path so that when they're out, you know, doing what they're doing, harvesting and tending to it, they're not walking through the midst, you know, trampling all the stuff down that's, that's growing. They would have narrow strips with paths between them. And they're, 
you know, they've got a bag of seed and they're sowing. They're going along like this. I don't know how wide, but they would go along. They'd have this narrow strip, but there are these roadways, these pathways between uh, the, the strips that would be farmed where they'd sow. And of course, what happens to a pathway? How, I mean, what happens to it? It gets trampled, and what about that dirt or the soil that's there? It's compact. It's hard. So what happens when the guy's reaching in to sow that seed? Some falls on the ground, and what happens to it? It stays on the surface, right? The, the, the ground is hard, and it stays there. The birds see it, and they come and devour it. They come and eat it up. That's just, it's another obvious thing. The ground is compact, so they don't actually, the seeds don't sink in. The sower goes along his pathway between the plots. Some of the seed where he's walking falls there and it stays on the surface. That represents one segment of Jesus' audience. Then and now. The word doesn't really penetrate. If the word doesn't get in. Just a few days ago, Rose played me a brief clip of um, the son of a, of a well-known American pastor named, a uh, pastor author uh, named John Piper. And he, John Piper has, I, has enriched my life by his presentation of the word. I, he's, an, he's got an outstanding calling and gift. And, but his son it has completely rejected what his dad is doing and when he's the clip rose played for me he's actually sort of not not mocking his dad personally but mocking us mocking what believers believe and he's obviously very you know he's got gray matter between his ears he's a a sharp guy but that word that he heard has landed on the surface and it didn't penetrate. Jesus is referring here, something about this has to do with a hard-heartedness. It didn't get in. It wasn't, the ground wasn't receptive to the seed, so it couldn't grow. I, I'm not much of a, um, a gardener. Rose is the gardener in our house. I just get to cut the grass and, you know, do some of the, the grunt work. She makes it happen. She knows how to do it. I'm not much of a gardener, but even I know that if the seed is just sitting on the surface, it's not going to make it. It's not going to do what it was intended to do. But it says they heard. They heard, but they weren't receptive. There's a lack of openness. So the birds come, the devil comes, He's the one that the birds represent and devours it. Romans 1, 19 and 20 says, God made the truth evident to people so that they're without excuse. They know, but they've rejected. They haven't received. The second soil. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as it grew up, it withered away. Because it had no moisture. Verse 13, the explanation. Those represented by seed on rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. Woohoo! That sounds great. I like the, the sound of that. These have no firm root, it says. There's, there's 
some soil there, but there's rocks. It doesn't go very deep. We had a, there's no firm root. We had a beautiful magnolia tree in our front yard that was beautiful for a few years. And for the last few, it had no life to it. So we kept thinking, ah, just maybe it'll pull through because it was beautiful. We don't want to take it down. It was maybe about 12 feet high. And uh, so start of this year, you know, partway through, it's like, nah, it's not going to do it. So I go out, tree, probably about six, seven inches in diameter, the trunk. I went out <laughs> and went to this tree and went, pulled it over. There was no root. The whole tree on the bottom, there was nothing there. You know, it's just like, eh, pull it over. And I, I realize I'm incredibly strong. But, you know, and you were thinking that, so I give you, you know, go ahead, you know, comfort yourself with those words. You're right, I am. But this was just like, there was nothing there. I pulled it up. The bottom of the tree comes down six, seven inches, and then it went like this. Little ball about this big and nothing there. No roots at all. It can't stand. It's not going to produce, and there's nothing to it. It's like one little shove, and it's down. That's what this is like. The, the, the seed went in, it produced something, but it couldn't last. It didn't have any root. It needed some roots. It needed something to anchor it and to take in life. But it says they these, they received the word with joy. They had no firm root. They believed for a while. And in time of temptation, they fall away. They heard the same word. They all do. All four kinds. They hear the same word. But rather than a hard heart that wouldn't take it in at all, these are receptive. It says they receive the word with joy. It's like, oh, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Woo, I like the sound of that. Then a week later, some skillful co-worker who is, you know, doesn't, he comes with a well-prepared argument uh, about, you know, why faith in Christ is out of sync with today's norms. And it's like, oh, this is too costly. I don't want to go against the grain. I'm not going to take that in a time of temptation, whatever it might be. The person buckles. The person yields and gives in. It's like, no, this is too costly. I don't want any pain associated with my faith. Let me just keep condemnation from sinking in in this room right now. It wants to get its clutches in you. If that's been you in a time of temptation, you feel like you buckled. I want to encourage you. So did Peter. But that didn't characterize him. He did it there. And what happened? He repented. And Peter, we see, stand up on the day of Pentecost and proclaim the truth and even say, you guys put him on the cross. Okay, he went from cowering and, hey, wait, didn't I see you with Jesus? No, no, I've never seen him. I don't know him at all. It says he swore. I don't know what, exactly what that means. But he, he cursed. He, he didn't want to be associated with Jesus when it was going to be costly. Even though, just a few hours earlier, he said, hey, I would die for you, Jesus. So now he runs away. But he came back. He came back. It didn't characterize him and if you buckled if you fell when you were tempted and you think oh that must mean i have no firm root it's not over 
story's not over. Don't let that characterize you. Come back, repent, turn. Just say, God, I want the word. I want, I, I want it. I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be someone with no firm root. Please help me in it, God. I, I repent. Don't take this for granted, but you can. There is hope. Turn back. Okay? They heard, they even received. But the word hadn't taken root in them. The third one, verse 7. Other seed fell among the thorns, or some, it says the weeds. The thorns grew up with it and choked it out. The meaning, verse 14, these are the ones who have heard again. And as they go on their way, they are choked. That means restricted. The life is cut off from... They're choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of this life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. Okay. Another hearer of the truth. And again, the seed begins to grow, begins to have an effect, but all too quickly... The New Living Translation says, Worries, riches, and pleasures of this life choke the life out of them. That's what happens. You see this happen in a garden. Weeds flourish. You're trying to get something to grow, and man, you you think, I wish my uh, carrots could grow the way the weeds are growing. They seem to flourish, but the thing we're trying to grow doesn't. Weeds flourish, and they're after things, and they, they blend right in. They blend right in and they keep going. That's how the weeds are and they choke the life out of the thing, the crop you want to grow. Good things and bad things are part of this in terms of pleasures of this life. Good things and bad things. It's not just bad pleasures, but even good things. Imaginary things are part of the worries. Some of the things you worry about are real, right? And some of the things are just in your head. That thing never did come to pass and you're worrying for nothing. It's like you're, these things, they choke out our spiritual life. How? I think worries are largely obvious as to how they choke life because we live in fear. We live looking over our shoulder. We live with anxiety. We can't enjoy what's there because we're too worried about what might be. Anybody? Anybody ever have a moment of that? Yeah. Worries suck the life out of us. Now, if you're a habitual worrier, repent. Now, that sounds harsh. I'm a worrier. I need help. You do. And the first thing is turn. Turn from it. Reject it. Start claiming this. Start quoting this. Start saying, hold it. God's word will not return void. I'm not going to believe that there's just somehow in my life a crop failure. I'm not going to believe that God is just trying to get rid of me. That somehow I'm just rejected. I'm going to quote the Bible. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm going I'm to take that rather than... Uh, God must be really mad at me. No, I'm going to claim this and reject worry. If you're a habitual worrier, turn from it. Ask God's forgiveness for yielding to fear rather than faith and start trusting him. Start getting his word in you. Fear is a form of faith, right? It's faith in something, in a bad outcome. 
It's faith in, it's expecting a bad outcome and believing for it. I just know I'm going to fail. I'm sure God can't use me. Stop that. I don't think there's ever a good time to worry. I don't think there's ever a good time to worry. One of the ways that that particular weed can blend in is sometimes we're concerned about something. Is concern a sin? No. There's times to be concerned about how something's working, circumstances, and you have concern. But worry, we bring it to God. We bring it to God rather than, oh, I'm worried. I'm, I'm fretting over this. I'm, gonna, you know, I'm, I'm losing my mind with worry. No, let's bring it to God. Let's not allow that weed to blend in and, and uh, choke the life out of us. Riches and pleasures of this life. I know I'm taking a little longer on this one because worries, riches, pleasures of this life. They, they seem like different things. Riches and ple- pleasures of this life, they blend in in a different way. Those can be good or bad. God blesses and supplies and someone works hard, starts a business, they prosper, great. There are certainly examples in the earth today of people like that, godly people, and in the pages of the Bible, people who worked, they did something, God prospered them, blessed them, even materially, And it was a blessing. But there are many, many warnings in the the Bible pointing out how vulnerable the human heart is to trusting in those things. He even said it to the people of Israel. When you get into the land and you're full and things go well, you're going to forget me. And that's what they did. It's like, Oh, we're not desperate anymore. We've, we've got our needs met. We've, things are good, and then they forgot God. That's when riches choke the life out of us. Pleasures of this life. That can mean all kinds of things. God made us to appreciate and enjoy pleasure. He made us for pleasure. He promises us pleasures forever at his right hand. Paradise, he says to the other thief on the cross. This day you'll be with me in paradise. Now, he didn't describe it or explain it, but paradise is, it's assumed that there's pleasure in it, right? It's not, uh, paradise, boy, this place stinks. This place is rough. No, paradise is going to be pleasurable. God made us for that. However, same thing. All of it has to be submitted to God. Even good things like family. Jesus is the one in Matthew 10, 37. He says, the one who loves father, mother, son, or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Nothing comes before him. Amen. Family is pleasurable. I'm so glad. I thank God for my family regularly. I love the relationships we have. It's pleasurable. It's very pleasurable to have time together, that kind of thing. But that doesn't ever come before God. It can't. As soon as that happens, what happens? That pleasure starts to choke the life out of me. Christ first. Amen? How come you're not amening at that? Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. I will not be mastered by anything. Everything submitted to Christ. What's funny? What, did I say something? Uh-oh. Oh, okay, okay. 
If he's not number one, something is choking the life of God out of us. Amen? He's got to be number one. Finally, verse 8. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 15, the explanation. These are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart. I want to stop for one second. That is the only place, and I'm reading from the New American Standard, that's the only place in the New Testament that that particular word, honest, is tra- the, the Greek word that's used, that's the only place that word is translated honest in the New American Standard. Every other place, it's uh, translated honorable, um, good. I, almost every time it's good. So then it, it basically reads like this. These are the ones who have heard the word in a good and a good heart. It's good in two different ways. Intrinsically good, morally good, ethically good, good and right. Uh, this, he, they've heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast, important, and bear fruit with perseverance. And I think that's a key word because... God is not a God of get-rich-quick schemes. Some things we wait and wait and wait and wait. I heard a story, I don't know if it's true, but that Smith Wigglesworth, um, early 20th century preacher of power, saw extraordinary miracles. I think maybe three or four times uh, God used him to raise someone from the dead. And, um, but Smith Wigglesworth apparently prayed for someone, a neighbor, over and over and over and over his whole life. And I may be mixing this up with another guy named George Mueller, famous missionary, who, similar thing, prayed for someone who didn't get saved until he died. Until until George Mueller or Smith Wigglesworth. Wigglesworth, I heard, it was the, the, uh, at his funeral, I think it was, that the person came and got saved, gave his heart to the Lord. It's like, man, God, a, a day earlier, a few hours? But so what? We don't get to see the end? But what do we ultimately want? We want the fruit. Bear fruit with perseverance. We persevere. It may not happen on our timetable, but we persevere. We wait for God to do it the way He's going to do it. Amen? We want the fruit. We want God to to bear fruit at some point. But these couple of things, everyone hearing Jesus hears this part, the rightness of this parable. They hear on the road, rocky soil, the thorns, and then they hear this, and it's like, oh yeah, that's obvious. The, the good seed in good soil, that's how it should be. That's right. It's like, ah, it resolved. The good seed produced what it was supposed to do. All of that, it looked good for a while with some of the seed, but this is what it should look like. Good seed in good soil produces good fruit, and it took some time. That's how it ought to be. These here but they hear with an honest and good heart. 
And they dis- these um, two words, honest and good, they're adjectives that describe the heart in which the words of life and truth from God flourish. They germinate and flourish and produce more and more life. Take it in. You hear that, now it produces. Now it keeps producing. Like when Jesus said to the woman at the well, whoever drinks the water I give, not only will they never thirst, but that, that water they receive, she receives, they receive, it will become in them a well of water springing up to eternal life. That's why he goes on this little thing about... Those who have will receive more. Those who don't have, even what they think they have, they thought they heard the word, but they didn't, came to nothing. But the ones who did have, the one who, one who came to the word with an honest and good heart and received it, now it multiplies. Now there's more. Now it's not only satisfying them, but through them it's satisfying others. Like he said to the woman at the well. And then he tells these ones. Basically, they're going to go out and make Christ known. Everything hidden will be made known. He goes out. They go out. They declare. And what happens? Others. 30, 60, 100 fold. The word begins to multiply one crop after another, after another, after another. That's what should be. That's how it should work. That's what God desires a hundred times as much. Good seed in good soil. But notice what else it says. These are the ones who heard the word in an honest and good heart and they hold it fast. They cling to it. Unlike the other, when temptation came, they fold. Unlike the other, oh, something else. Oh, that's beautiful. I'll go after that. No, chokes the life out. No, the... These ones hold the word fast. That's their, that's their lifeblood. They're clinging to it. That's, I think the New Living Translation uses that phrase. They cling to it. They're not letting it go. No matter what, let me say tonight as we close, hear the word in an honest and good heart. Ask God for it. God, soften my heart to receive it and ha- let it do what you intend your word to do. Not, I'm going to receive it with joy, and now if it fits what I, you know, life the way I want it, then I'll be okay with it. No, I want the truth. I want your word. I want it to come in. I want it to do in me what you want it to do, God. And I'm clinging to it no matter what. And it's costly. Because there have been a few times for me and probably for all of you, if you've been following Christ for a little while, There have been times that your faith was mixed with some pain because somebody didn't like your faith. They didn't like your stance on the truth. And maybe you lost a friend or maybe you lost a bunch of them or maybe you lost a job or maybe something because you took a stand but you cling to it. And you hold on because ultimately we know God's going to, the reward we have with him is going to be more than any of those other things. Easily, easily. It's not, even a, it's not even a close race. We hold on to it. No matter what, do it. You'll bear fruit with perseverance. Might not be overnight. It's like Jesus said, 
Hear it with a good heart and cling to it and keep clinging to it and you'll be fruitful. How long? How long, Lord? As long as it takes. How long do I have to cling? As long as it takes. Bear fruit with perseverance. Amen? Take out any part of this and the harvest would be jeopardized. An honest and good heart, they cling to it, they bear fruit with perseverance. Take out any part of that and it changes. Which one might you be tonight? Again, I don't want to condemn anybody. I, I want to encourage the church. And I, I think there's times in our lives that all four of these, we find evidence of all four of these in our own lives. Amen? Maybe it's just me, but I don't think so. All of these things show up at times we see it. But this thing, if you're reading this and hearing this, you have a response to make. And this is what parables do. They make an outcome obvious. And then we should look at it and say, well, obviously I want to be that one. I want to be the fruitful one that received the, the good seed and it produced a crop, right? Nobody's looking at this saying, ah, boy, I hope I have some thorns in my life that choke the life out of me. Nobody does that. It's obvious where this goes. So our response tonight is, if we want that, will we allow God to soften our hearts and plant that word of the kingdom in there that will produce fruit? Can we do that tonight? Anybody want that? Anybody want to be that good soil? Yeah, it's obvious. So let's pray. I know we've done this before, but just open your hands up toward heaven like this in a posture of openness. God, my life is open to you. Soften our hearts, God. It's obvious in this parable what's good and right. It's obvious what we should want. And we want to be those who are represented by good soil that produces a hundred times as much. God, would you come by the Holy Spirit and do that work? Pulling the weeds from our lives. Directing us how to do that. Uh, taking out the stones out of our hearts, God. That the soil might be well prepared for good seed so that we produce a harvest so that you bear fruit in us I'm speaking but I want you to pray with me in this if this is you God I repent of my hardness of heart where I've not been receptive to the word of truth I turn from that God, I repent for not allowing the Word to take deep root in my life, where at times I just have it on sort of close to the surface where I'm 
happy to sort of know, but I don't want to have to pay a price. God, I repent of that and turn from it. God, I repent for letting other pleasures, other things, worries, and things and riches and pleasures take the top spot in my affections. I want you above everything, Jesus. God, I I pray that we would change, that you would change us to be people with well-tilled, well-watered, good soil that will receive the word of the kingdom and bear fruit. I pray for fruitfulness for the people in this church, God. Fruit of every kind that you desire in our lives, the fruit of godly character, the fruit of the Spirit, evangelistic fruit, God, the fruit of obedience, of hearing and obeying. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Bless us, even in the midst of this uh, summer, Lord, to be fruitful. To be, as Casey was, uh, attentive to the sound of, the, of your voice and your leading in Jesus' name. So that we can bear fruit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And I seal this word up in each one. Thank you, God.